0: Hello, it's Jamie here, and welcome back to Bloody Bites. Today I'm going to speak truth to ignorance, as the subject is black on black slavery. Then and now, things you really ought to know. Stick a pin in the timeline of history. And you will find that people of every culture, civilization, creed, color, have been attacked, persecuted, invaded, and enslaved. Don't believe me? Listen to our podcast about white slavery in podcast number 20. And you will see that through the sweep of history, the ancient Greeks, the ancient Romans, the Ottomans, the Moroccan sultans, the Vikings, everyone was engaged in this trade. Indeed, Mule Ishmael, the sultan of Morocco in the late 17th, uh, early 18th century, uh, had 25,000 white slaves at any one time, seized by the Corsairs, traded through the Ottomans and his slave masters were actually black africans the bukhari who would uh, murder and torture uh, at will and it goes on to this day we've seen the white slavery of that period look at the israelites as well look at their line of history look at what has happened to them even uh, Putting the exodus from Egypt aside, you can see how the Assyrians invaded Samaria in 722 BC. Uh, Remember the Bar and Perm, the Assyrian came down like the wolf on the fold and his cohorts were gleaming in purple and gold. Well, that was then. And the Samarians, that branch of the Israelites were carried off into slavery in Assyria. Then in 487 BC, you had Nebuchadnezzar invading Jerusalem and capturing the people of Judea and carting them off into slavery. And moving on, you can see how the Jews were enslaved, persecuted, murdered during the genocide of the Holocaust. So no people have escaped. And the same can be said of Africa. You can start anywhere in history, but way before transatlantic slavery, uh, there was slavery throughout Africa. Uh, Take your pick, the people of Ethiopia, uh, way back to the 4th century AD, were engaged in slavery, the Amhara people and the Oromo people. Slavery was part of their culture. You move across Africa to, to any place you want, to, to modern day Niger, for example. And during that period, the people of that area, the Hausa Kunuri, they were engaged in slavery and we will come on to um, some of their rulers then. You can go to the Igbo people of modern day Nigeria and, and way back in history, they were practicing this, this idea of legal deterrent that anyone who had shamed their families, anyone the chi- who had displeased the chieftains and their the heads of tribes anyone who had uh, committed crimes in the eyes of their societies, they could be exiled to other tribes or sent into slavery within their kingdoms. You go further down to the Dahomey of um, modern-day Benin, they were engaged in slavery. The Ashanti, the uh, the, uh, 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 the, the Imbangala of modern-day Angola, they were engaged in slavery. And what the transatlantic slave trade do, did was simply tap into uh, those cultures, those tribes that were already engaged in slavery. Indeed, the Zulu. Uh, made a habit of enslaving those they captured the Swazi the Matabidi, the Kosa. You name it, they were engaged anywhere that African empires spread they They engaged in slavery. Back to the sort of North African area and and both West and East, Ethiopia um, was a centre of uh, eunuch production because castrated Africans were prized. They couldn't get anyone pregnant in the harem, so they were used to guard the harem. In fact, the black chief eunuch, the Kislar Agur in the Ottoman Empire, became incredibly important a chief courtier had his own ships his own trading routes in which he could enrich himself you go uh, over to uh, modern-day niger uh, and again you got a queen queen amina who produced loads of eunuchs for the international market in fact it said she had hundreds of eunuchs herself in her court and so The transatlantic slave trade, when it arrived, when the Portuguese, the Spanish, the English, when they arrived, there was a ready-formed market for them. You know, in places like uh, modern-day Nigeria, the Igbo people, because of their um, specialization in slavery, because they had indulged and engaged in this, they had their markets ready. You go down to the Imbangala, in uh, modern-day Angola, and there they had a queen. This was by this stage, this was the 17th century. Queen Amina in the Niger region was the 16th century, but Queen Najinga Uh, down in um, uh, uh, modern-day Angola, she had a huge slave network going on. It's said that when she was negotiating with the Dutch West India Company, she used to sit on slaves, use them as chairs, use them as tables. They were her furniture. They were so plentiful. So that is what the slavers, the European slavers, tapped into. It was ready, available. You move down to the Zulu nation and they, of course, were trading many slaves during the 19th century under Chief Kechawayo, King Quechua, They were trading slaves through ports such as Maputo. You move further north to Tanganyika and Zanzibar and and that was, that was all go, that, that was uh, a major slaving place as well. So it was always there. And you come forward to the modern day and you can see that slavery is still extant, still thriving in most of Africa. Don't believe me, look at the figures of the United Nations and the International Labour Organization. They claim that between 7 and 10 million people are enslaved in Africa. There are probably about a million Africans in the slave pipeline heading up to North Africa, heading up to Libya. We've all seen images of slave markets in Libya, in car parks, in garages, in market squares. It's absolutely dreadful. This is something that has been going on for centuries. It's, it's a market that has always existed. And again, we talk about the transatlantic slave trade and the millions who went across the Atlantic to the colonies, to America, to the Caribbean. But very few people talk of the up to 12 million African slaves who were transported to North Africa since the start of Islam. And you can look at that tradition. You can see the modern Uh, mining practices in Africa today, you can see where slavery exists for example the cobalt mines in the Democratic Republic of Congo today it's estimated there are a quarter of a million slaves in those cobalt mines uh, there are up to 50,000 children as young as six working in those mines or you can talk about the blood diamond mines of Liberia and Sierra Leone or the up to one and a half million slave laborers many of them children working in the cocoa plant plantations of Ghana or the Ivory Coast. This is an epidemic and it is symptomatic of the lack of concern, the lack of attention that is paid to these problems going on in the modern world. Look at what happens to women and girls throughout Africa. In places such as Niger in Mauritania you get systems like wahaya the the fifth wife syndrome uh, practice where because prostitution is banned women are enslaved and just added as a fifth wife in muslim uh, families in those areas, you have that practice going on: slave prostitutes, slave wives. Uh, there are probably a hundred and fifty thousand in Niger. There are a hundred thousand in Mauritania, and never forget the Mauritania only abolished slavery in 1981 and yet even to this day I think there's only been one slave master prosecuted so this goes on all the time. And then I've mentioned the, the debt bondage in places like Ghana. You can sell your virgin daughters to other families, give them in lieu of debt. Then you get trokosi, the practice of selling daughters, selling young girls to shrines, to voodoo priests, who then rape them because they claim that this is what the gods, their voodoo gods, want them to do. Don't pretend this is a... a part-time activity, don't pretend this is a minority sport, it's not this is going on all across Africa and that's the girls for the boys they have an equally terrible time you know people know about the child soldiers of the lord's resistance army in uganda from the 1980s to the early 2000s or the revolutionary united front in liberia again tens of thousands of boys enslaved into military service and told that they'd be immune to bullets because of uh, magic charms and things such as that uh, then you find that not only are they being used as soldiers, around Lake Volta in Ghana, uh, thousands of boys are being used to as uh, slaves to work on farms, to dive and uh, untangle nets. And Lake Volta is one of the largest... Artificial reservoir lakes in the world, 3,000 square miles. So it's a vast territory, and it's a vast territory for enslaving children. Then, of course, they've discovered uh, in Tanzania, in remote regions, they found mines again with boys as young as eight working down those mines, uh, held captive by armed guards. And again, that market exists. In Uganda, it's even worse, if you can imagine it, because it's said that over 3,000 boys a year are murdered in order that their genitals and hands are cut off to be used as lucky charms. And there have been prosecutions, so there is uh, evidence of this. But again, this goes on all the time. And you can probably remember the African leaders um, putting out candles in the shape of africa lighting candles at the millennium uh, saying this is the century of africa and yet no one talks or very few people talk about the problems that is that are going on in africa today the the endemic corruption the endemic slavery that is going on and i've mentioned the one million slaves in the pipeline going up to places like libya today and and again it is a real problem and that slave market those slave markets still exist and you look at the kafala system of indentured labor in uh, the middle east around the gulf and in saudi arabia and that so often is tantamount to slavery again very few people say or do anything about it. So during the colonial period, you had the transatlantic slaves tapping in to what already existed. If you look at the Arachuku people, the, which was a branch of the Igbo in modern-day Nigeria, during the 19th century and, and the 18th century, they had um, an oracle. They, they lent it this spiritual dimension and they, they used to send um, Africans and those who had been captured or people who were charged with crimes to see this oracle. And the oracle would tell them to go further into the caves to be devoured by the spirits. And they'd go further into the caves, walk through a fissure and end up in a slaving boat on the other side. So it was well rehearsed, well practiced, and it went on all the time. So, so these slavers tapped into these local traditions, and it was a ready market. And there were always recruits, there were always people being sent forward to the slavers, uh, whether it was on the Gold Coast, day Ghana, whether it was down in Angola with the Ambangala, the uh, Mwengi further north. The Igbo in modern-day Nigeria, everyone was doing it. The Dahomey in Benin, you know, this was well-practiced and well-rehearsed and went on everywhere when i say that it was a, a local custom you go to nigeria and you find that uh, back in the 19th century there were incredibly successful black african slavers uh, such as mubani agogo oriaku agogo uh, for short and agogo made a fortune from selling slaves, his own countrymen, other tribes, um, into slavery. uh, And even today, his family are proud of what he did. And this is what so often happened. The chieftains made a fortune, the rulers made a fortune, whether it was Queen Njinga, Queen Amina, uh, or AgoGo in uh, modern-day Nigeria. You know, these were people who enriched themselves through slavery. You move round to the Zulus, obviously, Quechua was engaged in slavery oh, all the way through the, the mid 19th century. And then you go up to countries like Tanganyika, modern day Tanzania and Zanzibar, the archipelago of Zanzibar. And Zanzibar, as we know, was a major slave trading center it was absolutely extraordinary how important that became it's said that in the mid 19th century of a, a population of 300000 two thirds of them 200000 people uh, were actual slaves and they were exporting 70000 slaves a year mostly uh, to the Arab states. And that slave trade, even though the Brits had banned slavery in 1807 uh, in the British Empire and in all the colonies from 1834, even by the late 19th century in Zanzibar, because the slave trade was run by Gujaratis, by Indians, um, it continued. And it was a British protectorate. The Sultan of Zanzibar, Sultan Said, agreed to end slavery in 1873. There were British consul generals, uh, such as C.P. Rigby, who went out and, and made sure that slaves were freed in large numbers. But Even in the 1890s, there were massive uh, slave exports going on, and the last slaves were sold from Zanzibar in 1907. So this is uh, how endemic the problem of slavery was. No wonder... Uh, David Livingstone went out, uh, was heading uh, for East Africa in order to try and stop uh, slaving, trying to persuade the Arabs to stop their slavery because it had already been stopped prevented by the Royal Navy on the West African coast. And it's worth remembering that the Royal Navy bombarded Algiers to stop white slavery in 1816, years after they had started their patrols to stop uh, West African slaves, um, black African slaves being transported uh, to the Americas and to the Caribbean. So all the way through history, we have seen that slavery has been there, slavery has existed, and that slavery exists today in huge quantities. And that figure of 10 million could be an underestimate. It it is the most appalling scene if you look at it um, with an eye, with an overview. It's extraordinary that no one does anything. It leads me to this thought in that in the year 2000, the United Nations came up with their Victims of Trafficking Act, uh, the prohibition of trafficking. And in the whole of Africa, not a single African state has complied with the basic conditions of that legislation, uh, those laws against human trafficking, against slavery. Not a single state in Africa and yet we come to today and we see that maybe because of cultural norms identity politics you name it everyone wants to talk about the transatlantic slave trade that britain for example uh, legislated against in 1807 that countries like holland and belgium ended in the 1860s but it it's today that we should be focusing on and I end really with a thought that those people, those activists, those campaigners, uh, those Caribbean politicians who constantly point the finger of blame at Europe or at America for the transatlantic slave trade, I very rarely hear them talk about... The modern slave trade in Africa. I very rarely hear them put out their hand and ask for reparations and compensation from those African states whose ancestors, whose antecedents sold their ancestors into slavery. And that to me smacks of hypocrisy, double standardism, maybe a, a hint of racism. It's just a thought. And Like freedom of speech and freedom of expression, freedom of thought is a luxury and privilege of living in free, liberal democracies. And that is a privilege and a luxury, as I said. And perhaps, just perhaps, we should be grateful for that. Even the ancestors, the descendants of slaves, can be grateful for that. I mentioned the Assyrians at the start, how they came down like a wolf on the fold. It's worth remembering that in Kings 2, the angel of the Lord ends up destroying an Assyrian army of over 100,000 in revenge. Maybe we'll have that revenge on the slavers of today. And rather than concentrate on pulling down the statues of Cecil Rhodes at Oxford University or renaming the Wills and Fry Building at Bristol University, we can concentrate on the here and now, the real problems of slavery today, because it's there in Africa and it's always been there. So let's deal with it now. We have an opportunity. That's all from Bloody Bites. Thank you for listening and catch up. Next time. So it goes. His name is James Jackson. My name is Tom Ashton. You've been listening to Bloody Bites from Bloody Violent History. Please pass this podcast on to a friend. You can contact me at talk at bloodyviolenthistory.com. Thank you and good luck.